Have you ever been getting ready um, to go to church and you asked, what should I wear? Maybe you asked your mom, maybe you asked your spouse, a roommate, maybe you asked yourself. I've asked my wife on more formal occasions, should I wear this tie or this tie? You know, which goes better with a sport coat, right? Um, well, let me give you a different way to, to think about that question. Think about dressing up metaphorically. Think about the face that you put on as you come to church. Maybe happy, maybe sad, maybe worried, maybe ashamed, maybe a persona or a mask. Have you ever been getting ready to go to church and asked maybe yourself, what should I wear? Should I put on my happy face? Or should I come to church with the sadness that I really feel? Should I be honest about where I'm at this morning? Or um, should I act like I think I should, where I should be at? Or how I'm expected to be feeling? Have you ever made that decision either consciously or, or maybe even without thinking about it? Well, today's psalm is, is the first of a group of 15 psalms that help us answer this question of what we should wear when we come into God's presence. They're known as the Psalms of Ascent. And you'll notice that little title in, in most Bibles. You'll see that little title right at the beginning of each psalm. And, and what we think is that most likely these Psalms of Ascent were songs that were sung by pilgrims on their way up, ascending up to Jerusalem, on their way to God's presence to meet with God. Three times every year, most Jews who were living in Palestine would travel up to Jerusalem for one of the great Jewish feasts, Passover, Tabernacles, etc., and uh, these would be times of celebration, times of holiday, times of worship, times of honoring God. And these psalms, we think, um, came to be used along the way to prepare the worshipers to build their anticipation as they were traveling, to help them express how they felt as they were journeying toward God's presence. In other words, they were psalms to teach God's people what to wear metaphorically speaking, as they came into God's presence to meet with God. And they teach lots of lessons. Today we're just going to look at one, which we see in Psalm 120, and over the next couple weeks we'll take a look at two others of these ascent psalms. So what we find as we look at today's psalm, Psalm 120, is that our starting place as we get ready, as we set out on our journey to God's presence, is sometimes a hard place, a painful place, a place of suffering and struggle. In fact, many scholars think that the Ascent Psalms were collected and used by the pilgrims coming to Jerusalem after the time of Israel's exile. After their land had been invaded, their temple destroyed, their king and their kingdom taken away, and even after they got their temple back years later, they never really fully got their freedom back or their independence. They continued to be a small, weak, and often persecuted people who felt like their exile was not really over. And often we feel like that too, don't we? Like we're, we're not at home 
in this world. Like we get pushed around by forces which are against us and which are bigger than us. And this psalm begins in a place like that. Let's take a walk through it. I want to point out a a few details, um, which I think will help us understand this psalm. And I forgot to give Josiah my uh, script, so I'll have to cue him as when to to forward to each slide. Um, The the first thing I want to point out is that there's an argument among Hebrew scholars as to whether the first verse should be in in the present or the past tense. In other words, is it, I call on the Lord and he answers me? Or is it, I called on the Lord and he answered me? Big difference. Is it present tense? Is this person in the place of suffering, in the place of calling and believing that God will answer in the future? Or is it past tense? Is this person in the place of gratitude? The trouble's over now. They called and God already answered and they're grateful. They're giving praise to God. Well, we don't really know. The Hebrew verb could go either way. But here's what is clear and emphatic in verse 1. And this comes through in the way the Hebrew sentence is structured. It's that um, that it's on the Lord. That, that on the Lord is, is the emphasis of this first verse. It's on the Lord that the psalmist calls or called. Not on anyone or anything else. When the psalmist is in distress, they focus on, they look to, they pray to the Lord. That's the first thing that we don't necessarily see in our English translations. Moving to verses 3 and 4, these verses talk about, let me see, are we advancing the slide yet? Yes, we could go, there, we got it, okay. These verses talk about how God will punish those who are lying about and slandering the psalmist. These enemies will be punished with sharp arrows and burning coals. Now, another thing that's that's not clear in verse 4, and it depends on the translation you have, is whether the burning coals are a separate punishment or whether the burning coals are being used to harden the sharp arrows. For those of you who are into that kind of thing, you know, medieval warfare and all that, you, you might know that heat was used at that time, to strengthen and to harden arrows. And I realize we're way before medieval times here. Um, But down through the ages, heat was used to to harden arrow points. And in Hebrew, the the sentence structure isn't clear which way it is, whether it's arrows and coals or whether it's arrows hardened by coals. But either way, the psalmist is making God's punishment dramatic and powerful here. In fact, the broom bush that's mentioned in verse 4 was known to make the best and hottest charcoal. Little fact, you probably didn't know. I didn't know it till till I started studying this psalm. So these are the hottest coals possible, however they're being used. This is a dramatic punishment. Next, moving to the last three verses on the next slide. In verse 5, the psalmist complains, Woe to me, I dwell in Meshech, I live in Kedar. Now this, again, probably means nothing to us, but these people back then knew who these peoples were. Meshech, they lived far to the south of Israel, and Kedar, or sorry, far to the north, Kedar lived to the south and to the east. These were far-off peoples, and they were considered at that time to be barbaric, uncivilized, and also hostile and warmongering. 
these are fierce, uh, foreign, violent peoples. And that's the kind of people the psalmist feels like he or she is living among. And so it's probably a metaphor, like if we said, I'm living among rogues and savages. That seems to be the sense here. Finally, notice verses 6 and 7, and I think we're still on the same slide. I live among those who hate peace, but I am for peace. Now this word peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. You heard of that word? We did a whole sermon series on it during the the month of May. Shalom is is the well-being and the wholeness and the flourishing that God intends for the world. And and that vision of shalom, that hope for shalom, is, is the psalmist's vision and hope. The psalmist is for shalom. The psalmist is committed to living into God's purposes in the world to bring about peace and shalom. But, but he or she is surrounded by those who are just for violence and war. And so the psalmist prays. They, they pray this psalm and, and they, they start out on their trip to Jerusalem with its temple, the place of God's presence. And this is what they begin to put on as they pray. Not in terms not of their clothes, but in terms of their attitude and their perspective, their, their face, you could say. Let me read this psalm again now that we know a bit more about it and, and hear what these worshipers are putting on as they travel toward God's presence. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will the Lord do to you and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrow with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech. I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate Shalom. I am for Shalom. But when I speak, they are for war. This psalm comes from a place of deep pain, a deep hardship. Notice the first and last lines. Verse 1, in my distress. Verse 7, they are for war. That about sums it up. You can go to the black slide now. That's what life is like for for the psalmist as as they head off on this journey to to God's presence. Do you relate to this? Have Have you ever felt this way? Let's take in this psalmist situation. They're, they're committed to God's shalom, to, to a world where everything, everyone flourishes and is doing well, a world where there's justice and fairness, where there's peace and provision, a world of love and peace, a world as things should be. Don't you wish the world was like that? But as the psalmist seek to live their life, what are the people around them like? Well, people are lying. People are deceitful. And you get the sense that, that these dishonest people are spreading lies against the psalmist. Saying things to get the psalmist in trouble, to cast the psalmist in, in, in a bad light, to, to ruin his or her reputation, to, to hurt him, to damage her. And, and these, um, slanderers are hostile. They're, they're menacing. They're, they're not friends or supporters. And so while they may be fellow Jews, we don't know, the psalmist feels like 
this is enemy territory. Like, like they might as well be living far off among violent enemies. The psalmist doesn't feel at home, doesn't feel safe among these people. Have you ever felt this way? Maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe in your own home. Like someone or someones were against you. They had it in for you. They kept looking for ways to do you harm, to to bring you down. They were stabbing you in the back, talking about you. That's what this psalm is about. I've experienced this at at various times. Um, Occasionally it's been after Anne, my wife, and I had a big fight. And we both said things in our anger which left us both feeling the way the psalmist feels. One time which which really sticks out um, was at a church I served at previously. And overall they were wonderful people and, and it was a great experience being part of them. But there was one time when there was a serious conflict in the church. And a good handful of people were very upset with me and with several other leaders who I loved and respected because as leaders we had to make a difficult decision. And we knew things that other people didn't know, which we based that decision on. And I felt like these other people who were upset were against me. And and they said things about me. And they said things about other people that I loved. Which they twisted to cast us in a bad light. um, To sow distrust about us. uh, To make us look like we didn't have integrity. And I found myself having to choose my words very carefully around some of them because I knew in some cases they were looking for ammunition, something they could grab hold of and take away and turn around and use against me. And I'd hear about things that they said behind my back about me and about others that I cared about, things which were very unkind and often just plain not true. And, And... I felt like I needed to be saved from lying lips and deceitful tongues. And I'm sure some of you have had experiences like this as well. I felt like I was dwelling in Meshach, like I was living among the tents of Kedar. Maybe again, you've, you've felt this way because of a spouse or because of a teacher, a former girlfriend or boyfriend or someone at work. Sadly, right? Most of us relate in some way to this experience. And if you do, this psalm is for you. To to teach you how to get dressed, so to speak. What kind of face, what kind of expression, what kind of attitude to put on as you draw near to God. And as you come into God's presence. Because when when we feel this way, we we struggle with how to approach God, right? Right? Whether, whether it's in our own personal times with God or a, a small group or Bible study we're going to or whether it's coming to church on Sunday morning, we, we struggle with what face to put on. And this psalm helps us. It orients us. It, it leads our hearts in the right direction. This very first ascent psalm. So let me point out from this psalm briefly five lessons that this psalm gives us about what to put on as we begin our journey into God's presence. First, on to the next slide. Look to God. It's the first lesson. Call on God. Verse 1. I call on the Lord in my distress. 
Remember, on the Lord is emphatic. In our distress, we all call on something, right? We, we, we look to, um, to something or, or to someone for help and comfort. The fact that we call is not the point. The point is who we call on. The psalmist says, I call on the Lord. Call with me, will you? As you sing this song. So how do you handle the, the hurt and the, the struggle and, and the difficulty? Do you have a friend you can call on? Do you have a family member you can talk to? Do you have a counselor or a therapist or a group? That's good. Definitely do that. Also, though, and even more so, call on the Lord. Or, or do you medicate? When, you, when you're hurting, do you use food? Do you, do you turn to alcohol? Do you use porn? Or is it shopping? Is it, is it working too much that, that, that's your go-to? Do you distract yourself with TV, with, with the internet, with video games? Call on the Lord, the psalmist says. Look to God. Look to someone who knows you intimately, who created you and loves you. Someone who's wiser and more powerful. Lean and depend on God for help. Then second, if we go to the next slide. Second lesson, ask. Ask God to save you. Ask God to rescue you. Notice, and and this is such an important point, often God doesn't save us from troubles, but rather God saves us through them. Often God doesn't prevent us from experiencing hardships, but rather God rescues us out of our hardships. In fact, if there was never any trouble for us, because God just like proactively prevented it all, we wouldn't ever think of God as a rescuer. Because we wouldn't be aware that we'd been delivered or, or helped in any way. But, but the reality is that, that we go through many struggles in this life. That in this fallen world, God allows us to experience many kinds of hard things. But God also invites us to turn to Him, to call to Him, to ask Him to rescue us and to be our Savior out of those troubles. And so this psalm encourages us to ask, to call on God, to ask God to rescue us. And not just a fleeting prayer amidst our worry and our anxiety, but but a focused, a tenacious, a determined request to ask God and ask God and keep asking God. God, rescue me. God, help me. God, my focus is on you. God, I'm looking to you to save me, to change my situation, to bring me out of my trouble. Take a minute and and think with me about about your own life and and maybe a difficult situation that you've had in the past. Maybe relationally or at work, at school, with a family member. There was stress. There was conflict. It felt overwhelming. But as you look back, can you think of a time when God brought you out? When, when God helped you and rescued you. Can you think of a, a, a time? I, I can think of a time. More than one. Thank God, right? Third lesson about this psalm. The next slide. When it comes to those who are hurting us and who are against us, we're to remember their end. 
what will God do to them? The psalmist asks. God will punish them if they deserve it. God will. We don't have to. Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so we're to leave room for God's justice. For God to make things right. We don't need to get even or defend ourselves. We can remember the end of those who oppress us and who hurt us, that God will punish them if punishment is appropriate. And God knows better than we do. As with a warrior's sharp arrows, as with the hot coals of a broom bush, God will fight our battles. So we don't have to. So we can be people of peace. I had to remember this when I was going through that very difficult situation at at a former church, that I didn't need to defend myself. And it wasn't my job to get revenge or to make everything right. And and at that time, I chose to remember the example of King David, which is one reason that David is the ideal king in the Old Testament. What did David do, if you know the story of David, when when King Saul, his father-in-law, tried to kill him and was jealously out to get him? And, And what did David do later when his own son Absalom rebelled against him and sought to take his kingdom from him? Did David fight back? Did he, did he destroy his enemies? No, David humbly let go of his power and let it up to God to decide. If David was in the right and God wanted to defend David, then God would do that. But David wouldn't seek revenge on his own. He wouldn't seek to hold on to power. And in each case, as the story unfolds, God did rescue David. And so the psalmist encourages us to remember the end of those who are evil. God will deal with them. We can let go of our desire and our temptation to deal with them ourselves. And then fourth, the fourth lesson of how we can enter God's presence. We can complain. We can. We can complain to God about our trouble. Not to accuse God or to grumble and criticize God, but to just vent, to to express how we really feel. God knows it's in there anyway. We might as well be honest about it with God. We don't have to put on a fake happy face when we come before God or we come into God's presence. And you don't find the psalmists doing that. No, if you've read the Psalms, they are brutally honest about how they feel. They're in touch with their emotions. When we're really struggling, when the psalmists are really struggling, they complain. Verse 5, woe to me. I'm miserable. I feel like I live among thugs and savages, among backstabbers and bullies. It's been too long, God. Make it stop. We can complain. We don't have to pretend that we're doing okay inside when we're not. And then last, fifthly, we can realize that we're not at home in this world. Verses 6 and 7. We want shalom. We want peace and rest. We want love and harmony. But we live in a world where there is violence and strife. Where people around us can be mean. They can be vindictive and nasty. Maybe sometimes we can be too, if we're honest. The world isn't as it should be. Shalom hasn't fully arrived yet. And so we're not going to be fully at home in this world. 
And so as we come into God's presence, as, as we come close to God, we're coming from an experience which at times may feel far away from how things should be in God's presence. That very often is our reality as we come to God. We come from the struggle. We come from the strife. We come from a life where we don't feel at home. And so how should we come as, as we come to, to a place where we hope we will feel at home? Where we will find encouragement and comfort in God's presence? What face, what attitude should we put on as we come into God's presence? Well, as far as God is concerned, here's God's answer. As we see in this psalm and as we see in many psalms, we should start with honesty. We should not put on a mask or a face other than the one that, that is really how we feel. That's where we start as we come to God. That's the place that we begin. As we truly are. And I want you to know you are welcome at CBC as you truly are. Without dressing it up, without covering your real self with a mask. God wants us to begin where we really are. And we've all got to make one another feel welcome as we are. That's a job for all of us. And in that place of honesty, that's where God can work with us and can meet us. God can say, hey, look at me, look to me, call on me. I can do better than, than other things can, that, that, than other ways can that you're turning to for help. Ask me to deliver you. And remember the end of those who are hurting you. I'll take care of them for you. You can complain to me about them and, and about what you're going through. I, I know you're not at home. You feel like a stranger in a strange and sometimes hostile land. Oh, you can go to the black slide now. Writer and pastor Gordon McDonald tells the story of a time uh, when in his yard he flipped over an old board that was in the grass and he found a large collection of bugs underneath. You know, summertime, they're crawling all around. And um, it made him think about church <laughs> and how if we're not careful, we can facilitate hiding. And he, as he watched the, the bugs scurrying for cover, he, he writes, I thought of what might be called the underside of the church. Those numberless people who walk into sanctuaries all over the world, carrying their secrets behind bright clothes and forced smiles. They sing the songs, pray the prayers, listen to the sermons. And all the while, the secrets fester within the, their private world, causing either a constantly broken heart or a hardened heart. Well, that's not what God wants us. That's not how God wants us to come. God knows we hurt. God knows sometimes we feel overwhelmed. And a happy face, a together appearance, isn't really true to where we're at. And so God, through the Psalms, including this Psalm, invites us to come as we are. I call on the Lord in my distress. Save me. Woe to me, I dwell in Meshach. Now, of course, this place of honesty isn't the end of our journey. But it's a perfectly okay place to begin 
I'm not saying we get away from honesty. I'm saying the, the place of, of honest complaining is where we can begin as God works with our heart and moves us, hopefully, to a place that is more like shalom. And so God reminds us that God is with us even in the midst of strife and slander. So as a church, we've been trying to get in the habit of asking ourselves when we come together on Sundays, what is God saying to me this morning? And how do I respond? What am I going to do about it? And one way to respond this morning is to not be afraid to ask for prayer. And we have a prayer team that's available each Sunday morning after the service in the lounge. They're wearing lanyards with orange tags. And they would be happy to pray with you and for you. So feel free to take advantage of that. Another way to respond might be um, when we ask one another over coffee or at the picnic this afternoon, how are you? (laughs) I realize it just really means hi. (laughs) But maybe to ask it, when it's appropriate to hear the answer, to ask it with a bit more realization of what we're asking. Do we really want to know how they are? And are we really willing to listen? On the other hand, when we're asked, are we willing to move beyond the polite, I'm fine, how are you? Which sometimes is appropriate because there isn't really time to unburden our souls. But but are we willing when, when time allows and when we're with someone who we feel we can trust and who cares to really share a bit more of what's going on? Those might be some ways to respond. Let's close by um, praying this psalm one more time. And um, if I just encourage you, I'll read it slowly and for you to make it your own as we close. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more beside you, deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, for shalom. But when I speak, they are for war. Amen.